0: and begin. And we're glad you're here and first time I've been in this room in a while so uh, but it's good to be in here and uh, I feel you only to lead us in prayer.
1: God we're thankful for today. Thankful Father for uh, allowing us time to um, spend in your word and thankful Father for the uh, guidance that you give us, the, instruction, the, encouragement, uh, the
0: Wisdom that we see throughout scripture Father, help us to see tonight as we study through the psalms that uh, your uh, Relationship with man your love for us and our need for a relationship with you help us to draw closer to you as we Read these things and come to a clearer understanding of you and your character and uh, That our
1: lives might glorify you. Thank you for uh, for Jesus and the freedom and redemption and hope that we have through him. And it's through
0: him that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Psalm 47, or Psalm 67, excuse me. Uh, for the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm, a psalm. You notice this is the second psalm, the second consecutive psalm that has not mentioned David. In the Greek text, in the Septuagint, it is mentioned. David is mentioned to David. But here in the Hebrew text, which is followed in the New American Standard, in most versions, it's not. For the choir director, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. Verse 1, God be gracious to us and bless us, and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. That, you may, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you will judge the peoples with uprightness and guide the nations on the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. One of the things that that interests me at first is is you notice that in the Psalm, verse 1 is third person. It speaks about God. God be gracious to us. Verses 6 and 7 speak of God in third person. God, our God, blesses us. God blesses us. But verses 2 through 5 are in second person. Your way. Your salvation. Praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. In in verse 4 you see Verse 4, verse 5, the same thing. So, God is spoken of there in second person. Now, when I think about this psalm, when I think about Psalm 67, one of the things that impresses me, well, well, let me just ask it this way. What is the view of the nations and the peoples in this psalm? What is the view of these?
1: Praise and being glad, and joyful.
0: Okay. Praise, being joyful. It's an exhortation to them. Yeah, it's an exhortation to them, and they appear. In friendly relations with Israel. Now this is a little different than a couple of these words. Listen to this. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? That's Psalm 2 and verse 1. This is Psalm 59 verse 5. You, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations... So so often the nations are viewed as hostile to Israel and you see it in those examples but here what you find is that it is an exhortation it is a call to these nations to praise God, to join in Israel's praise of God. The nations here are not viewed as hostile. They are not viewed as adversaries but the nations here are viewed as ones that are called to praise God. They are asked to join Israel in exalting God. And who was told these words in scripture? Through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. That was said to Amen. Abraham. Okay, the promise is to Abraham I will bless those who bless you, and in you all nations will be blessed. And it's specifically made to his son Isaac through your seed, through your descendants all nations will be blessed. This seems to focus a lot on that promise of God's intention through Abraham to bless all nations. In Genesis 11 You have just seen man in his rebellion to God seeking to make a tower and to make a name for himself that reaches heaven and God divides their languages and confuses them. But the God who divided and confused the language because he doesn't want them to organize in community and hostility to him ultimately wants to save them and to bless them. He wants to bless all nations through Abraham and his seed, which will eventually find fulfillment in Jesus. So, the promises to Abraham are called to mind by the language of this passage. But but there's another Old Testament passage that really comes to my mind when I read these words. Uh, Is there one with you? I know that's pretty vague, the whole Old Testament. What else comes to mind? And uh, and, and none of you may want to answer because you don't want me to say, no, that's not what I'm thinking about. Number six. Okay, yes. The priestly blessing, we'll just call it the Aaron's blessing here, or the priestly blessing, is number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. So this psalm kind of combines the promises to Abraham with the blessing of Aaron. Uh, That might be a way to say it. God be gracious to us and bless us. Now starting from even that very first verse... Listen again to how it's read in the New American Standard. It says, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us. Um, How was that translated in the ESV? I I, I know. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us. It just adds the word may, which... Maybe you could still say it the same way in the New American Standard, but it just increases the idea that this is a prayer asking for God's mercy. This is a prayer. There's a question among some commentaries. Is this a statement of thanksgiving, or is this a prayer, a plea for blessing? And of course, those two things can both work together. But but uh, the ESV definitely words a lot of these things as a uh, as a prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us. But. Well, let's look at some of the specifics of Psalm 67, but, but that opening, be gracious. After he talks of God, he says, be gracious. It is the same way, for example, that Psalm 51 opened, be gracious to me, O Lord. Except this is asking that in the context of David's sin with Bathsheba, where he is throwing himself upon God's mercy and God's grace, here is in the context of the community. He is asking not just for God's graciousness upon him, but God's graciousness upon us. And the text um, also you find... That this kind of statement about be gracious, it opens Psalm 4, uh, early in Psalm 6, and I have many other places where this text is used. Be gracious to us and bless us. Now I acknowledge the next point I'm going to make I totally missed if one writer had not called attention to it. But look back at Psalm 66 20. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer nor His loving kindness from me. But Psalm 66 ended with a statement of how God is blessed. God is blessed. God is exalted. And now Psalm 67 opens With a cry, God be gracious to us and bless us. Be gracious to us and bless us. And calls his face to shine upon us. Now, Boyd already mentioned Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you. And keep you, the Lord make His face to shine upon you. We will see this kind of idea of blessings connected with God shining His face on us uh, quite frequently in the Psalms. But but look at Psalm eighty in particular. Psalm eighty. And we'll see this expression used some three times about God causing His face to shine upon us. Psalm 80 verse 3, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us that we will be saved. And then you'll see the same idea in verse 7. O God of hosts, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us. We will be saved. In verse 19, the same expression. So, in times of blessing, God is said to shine his face. But in times of difficulty, in times of trial, in times of distress, it is pictured as God hiding his face. God hiding his his face. You see this language, for example, in Psalm 13 and verse one. Psalm 13, verse one: How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you hide your face? And uh, in Psalm 44, verse 24. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? When God sends his blessings, it is as if God is causing his face to shine. When God's blessings are withheld, it is as if God is hiding his face. I found an interesting connection to Proverbs 16 verse 15. Uh, there's a statement there which does not even mention God, but in Proverbs 16:15, "In the light of the king's face is light and his favor is like a cloud with the spring rain. When a king was smiling upon them, it was like this was a grand occasion and he was favorable to your calls and he was going to bless you. And so in the light of his face, there is favor, and if this be true of the face of the king, how much more of the face of our God?
1: Where did
0: you say that last? It was Proverbs sixteen, oh, okay. verse fifteen. Were you looking at the Psalms? Okay, there, there was a reason to look in the Psalms. I mean, every other verse we mentioned was there.
1: Psalms 16.
0: Proverbs 16. Proverbs. Proverbs 16. So, anybody else looked at Psalms instead of Proverbs? Okay. Why does he ask in this context? Now, there might be many reasons to ask it. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us. Why specifically (coughs) does he ask that in this context?
1: So all the world would know his salvation.
0: That all nations might know of God through the blessings upon Israel. That your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. Israel begged God's blessings and no doubt would have begged God's blessings anyway. But in this particular psalm, it is particularly a missionary tactic that to ask God's blessing and to ask that God shine his face upon them will cause him and his saving power to be known to all the earth And all nations, and by the way the word all is going to be prominent in this particular psalm, your salvation among all nations. Now, as I was reading this and thinking about some other passages, all the passages that I'm about to write are passages where you see God acting so that all nations or all the earth would know about him. In the events of the Exodus... God states in Exodus 9 and verse 14. Exodus 9 verse 14, Moses is speaking to Pharaoh and he says, Indeed, for this cause I have allowed you to remain in order to show my power, in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. God's dealings with Egypt and God's plagues upon Pharaoh were a way to show His power and to proclaim His name through all the earth. Okay? Another event. Remember when Israel came to the Promised Land? God dried up the waters of the Jordan. God dried them up. In Joshua four twenty four, that all peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty and they may fear the Lord your God forever. God sent Israel out of Egypt to show his power and God divides the waters of Jordan and lets Israel cross over in order to show his power as well. Remember when David was fighting with Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 46. The Bible tells us that uh, he said, I'm going to give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All the earth... They know there is a God in Israel. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon in his prayer of dedication at the temple makes a request that if the foreigner comes from a far country And he comes to worship in the temple because he remembers, because he's heard great things about Israel's God, Solomon begs God to answer his prayer. And he says, answer it in order that all peoples of the earth may know your name as do your people Israel. May all peoples of the earth know your name. And one more example that I have down, I may have overlooked some, I do not doubt that. But you remember when Hezekiah was facing King Sennacherib. And King Sennacherib said, why do you think your God is going to deliver you? The gods of these other nations haven't delivered them. But Israel has taken their gods and they have thrown them into the fire." And Hezekiah acknowledges that is true. O Lord, it is true that the Assyrians have defeated other nations and they have taken their gods and they have thrown them in the fire. But their gods are not gods. Deliver us, O God. Open your eyes and see and open your ears and hear and deliver us that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. In one night, God sent an angel who killed 185,000 Assyrians. God did all of these things that all the earth would know that he alone is God. And God blesses Israel that all nations may know there's no God. Like Israel's God. And there's a call for all these nations to join with Israel in praise. Beginning with verse 3. And by the way, you notice that verse 3 and verse 5, basically the same words. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God has blessed Israel that all nations might know that they, that He alone is God, and therefore let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. In verse 4, verse 5, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The longest verse in the Psalm, and really the centerpiece, both in where it's placed and, and just by its length, is verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for He will judge the peoples with uprightness and guard and guide the nations of the earth. Now, where all the nations are called to praise, they're all called to um, to praise Him. And by by the way, let me mention in passing the word. children of of Jacob by Leah first there's Reuben Simeon then Levi then Judah what does Leah say when Judah is born you remember I will praise the Lord and the word that's translated praise here is that same word for Judah. It's it's the same word. Sometimes it's translated give thanks. Sometimes it's translated praise. But she names him Judah saying, I will praise the Lord. And it's a word used four times um, twice in verse 3, twice in verse 5. But the nations are called to praise God. The peoples are called To exalt God. They are called to do this. They're called to sing for joy in verse 4. And notice the two reasons in particular that are given in verse 4. The two reasons are for you will judge the world with uprightness and guide the nations of the earth. So God will judge. This is 67, verse 4. God will judge with uprightness. Uh, That particular word for uprightness that we see uh, there, uh, it was, for example, used in, you remember Psalm 45, which praises the king? And it says, Your scepter... Uh, is a scepter of righteousness or uprightness, but it's the same word that's used here. I forget how it's translated the New American Standard there, but your scepter is a scepter of uprightness. The point is, as that psalm is praising the king, it presents a king who is upright, who is moral, who is holy. When the Bible is talking about, when the Bible is talking about kings, um, a God as king, in, in verse, in Psalm 96, verse 10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the earth, the world is firmly established, it will not be moved. And he will judge the people with Equity. Same particular same word used here. He'll judge the people with equity. He will judge the people with uprightness. In Psalm 96 in verse 13, uh, the same statement is made. He will judge the world in righteousness. So what, what nations looked for in a king is a king who who exalted righteousness. A king who brought down wickedness. It's very important therefore how a ruler defines good and evil. Because still rulers will claim to exalt good and bring down evil, but how do they even define it today? There's not a consistent view of that in, in, in our world. But God will be The ultimate judge of uprightness. Every time we see injustice in the world, every time we see the obvious innocent person pronounced guilty or the obvious guilty person pronounced innocent, it makes us long for God's just and holy judgment it has always been that way it will always be that way while life continues in the world he will judge the people with uprightness Um, by the way you see it said of David that he did justice and righteousness in 2 Samuel 8 I believe it's verse 15. And then Solomon is said to do justice and righteousness in 1 Kings 10 verse 9. The one, that's the ultimate picture of doing justice and righteousness is God. And his Messiah is prophesied that way. But God will guide, 67 verse 4, he will guide the nations in he will guide the nations of the earth. The Bible tells us, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He, he leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He will guide me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God, as a shepherd, will not only judge his people, but he will guide his people to their intended destination. Psalm 78 also pictures God as a shepherd. And it says in Psalm 78 verse 52, He will lead forth his own people like sheep. He he led forth his own people like sheep, talking of a past event, and guided them in the wilderness like a shepherd, just as a good shepherd guided his sheep. A king was often pictured as a shepherd, as a leader. And God, the ultimate good shepherd, will judge with righteousness and justice, and he will guide his sheep. He will lead his sheep in the right way, in the proper way. In all of this, should lead the nations to be glad, should lead the nations to sing for joy. It should lead peoples to praise him and give him thanks. What, what more could we have said on verses 1-5? through Or what questions do you ask, do you have about this text at this point?
2: So with 3 and 5 basically repeating each other and 4 being right there in the middle, you you kind of see that chiasm, right? Yes, yes. So the central point is verse (coughs) 4.
0: Yes, central point is verse 4. There are a lot of similarities between verse 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7, but yes, it is. One writer said this, and, and let me just mention this to you because this was helpful to me a little bit. He said the emphasis on God intensifies throughout the psalm. If you divide it up the way John just did, 1 and 2, 3 through 5, and 6 and 7. He said God is mentioned, of course the whole thing is about him and it does use your several times of him outside of this. But God is specifically mentioned once in verses 1 and 2. In verses 3 through 5, God is mentioned twice in verse 3 and verse 5. In verse 6 and 7 though, the third portion of the psalm, God is mentioned three times. mentions God, our God, God. And God blesses us. So, there is an intensification of the emphasis on God throughout the psalm. But I do think what John states is right, that you have, in a sense, a chiasm between verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7 with the center point being right there in verses 3 through 5. Um, verse 6 the earth has yielded its produce Um, I'm interested I know this is a small point but it, it seems like it comparatively though I do appreciate people who really carefully search how should we best translate every word I mean for people who really Do that. uh, That is a that is a great service. But this word has yielded. How is that translated (coughs) in different versions? Has yielded. The earth, it's the first line. The earth has yielded its produce.
1: New King James says, shall yield her increase.
0: Shall yield. Okay, very good. You see, the New American Standard takes it as path. The New King James takes it as future. That sums up a lot of the debate about this particular word. Um, And the word actually means to give but but in the context of an agricultural talking of a field it is often translated like yield. And what's interesting is is in Hebrew verbs express an idea of completeness, it's an incompleteness, and the imperfect is incomplete and the perfect is considered complete, this is the only perfect verb in the chapter, all the rest are imperfects, so... If you didn't follow that, it's not necessary uh, that you do, but I just wanted to explain a little bit of the disagreement. Um, but some point out that even when this verb is used in the uh, perfect, as it apparently is done in Leviticus 26, verse 4. Where it talks about I will give you rain in its seasons, that obviously it is referring to something still future, and therefore it's translated that way in the New King James that Mary read.
2: And the NIV uh, eighty-four version speaks of all six and seven as a future. It speaks
0: of everything as future. Okay.
2: What
1: is Psalm eighty-five twelve have? I've got a reference. Our land will yield its increase, I have.
0: Okay, our land will yield its increase. Okay, it's probably the same, same verb. Let's uh, see just a second. Uh, Psalm 85 verse 12. Um, okay, it is the same verb, but that is an imperfect verb. So that would most naturally be translated probably will or shall, talking about the future. But that's a good cross reference. Don't don't tell me, Mary, you've studied the Psalms before. I mean, y'all's told me, promise me, this was gonna be y'all's first time through. No, it's just in my Bible, just saw it. In the <laughs> yeah, I, I okay. Well, good. Somebody's done a good job teaching you people. I tell you what. Okay. But verses 6 and 7, the earth has yielded its produce. God, our God, blesses us. God shows his blessing each time the fields have a productive harvest. Um, I want to tell you, it is easy. In the midst of our prosperity and plenty. To forget that we owe God thanks for everything. It's so easy to forget that. I just was seeing a clip today. Um, I was exercising and a clip that this, this woman was looking for her friend that she had grown up with during World War II and they lived in London when every night they were in an orphanage. Her mother was alive but she was in an orphanage because her mother didn't have the money to feed her. And she and her friend promised one day we're going to go to America and she said we didn't know anything America was like. But all the people were happy and they had plenty of food to eat. Now, you can question part of that, whether we're always happy. But I will tell you, I can remember almost 30 years ago when we went to Russia, somebody came up and talked to us right away in English who didn't hardly know any English. And I asked him later, I said, how did you know we were Americans? He says, you were smiling. <laughs> Russians do not smile. Mm-hmm. But, but she said, all I knew is people in America were happy and people in America had plenty to eat. Considering the situation of the world, a phrase that Paul Earnhardt has used sometimes to talk about America is that we are in a tub of butter in the midst of a world that has so little. I don't think we should inherently feel guilty for that. But we need to be profoundly thankful and generous because of how much God has given us. We need to be very thankful. We need to be very generous to those who do not have. But every time God gives abundant harvest, it's a sign that that he is God. And, he, and again, Paul said that to the pagans at Lystra who were worshiping other gods. God did not leave himself without witness, but he gave you rain and fruitful seasons and filled your heart with food and gladness. Acts 14 and verse 17. And here the earth is yielded its increase. God shall bless us. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. There's something I, I posted on Facebook last week. Some of you may have seen it, but but in the midst of Thanksgiving, and, and this is not this doesn't take a long memory on your part, how many times when you see a little turkey across the screen or whatever, and a mention of Thanksgiving, and all that's great and fine, will there ever be an acknowledgement? of the one to whom we give thanks Thanksgiving is meaningless apart from the object of our thanksgiving and when you look at George Washington and Abraham Lincoln Thanksgiving proclamation they were deeply conscious of God, deeply conscious of God. we must be as well. But here God blesses us that all the ends of the earth will fear Him in verse in verse 7. Now John pointed out the similarity, between verses 1 and 2 and verses 6 and 7. Notice in verses 1 and 2, God wanted all the earth and all the nations to know him, that your way may be known here, uh, that all the ends of the earth may fear him. Now, there might be some differences between those, but basically those are the same thing. To know God and to fear God. They're basically used here in parallelism. And, but there are a couple of different reasons given. We already stated in verse 4, we, we praise Him, we give Him thanks because He judges up righteously, because He guides us. But, but here in this is because He blesses us so abundantly. He blesses us and blesses His people And it's a reason that all nations should fear him. What what else do you think of in connection with this? Any questions or ideas there? Since this is so brief, let's read it again. ESV, be thinking of the question we're about to ask. How does it relate to Jesus? To the choir master with string instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Sila. That your way may be known. On earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you will judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the nations, all the ends of the earth fear him. Okay, thank you for listening with me and thinking with me through this. And Psalm 67 and Jesus. What comes to your mind? A connection between them. What what comes to, to your mind? Verse 4, and uh, speaking of uh,
1: the guide to the nations, a shepherd.
0: Okay. Okay, very good. Just as this guiding in verse 4 is the work of a shepherd, and we we already stated that in 23.3, in 78.52, Jesus is the good shepherd. He leads us and guides us in John 10, 1 through 18. We see that same kind of idea in Revelation 7, 15 through 17. Okay, good point.
1: I was thinking the same verse, um, that you will judge the peoples with uprightness. Um, Isaiah 11, 4 and 5 is the the branch that with with righteousness he will judge the poor. Um, In verse 5, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness about his waist.
0: Yes, Isaiah 11 is pretty clearly a messianic prophecy of the branch of David, the line of David. And you see that stated in Isaiah 11, verse 4. Also, Psalm 45 that we mentioned earlier was a messianic prophecy as well, quoted in Hebrews 1. Part of it quoted in Hebrews. Matter of fact, this part is quoted in Hebrews 1. Um, I think it's verses 8 and 9, and applied to Jesus. So, yes, you, you do see that he judges uprightly. He guides, he leads his people as a shepherd. What else? Verse 2
1: talks about salvation among all the nations.
0: Okay. God's salvation. um, Salvation among the nations. And really we could probably go beyond verse 2 in just talking about how Because all the nations are mentioned, like we said, around verse 2, verse 5, verse verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 7. All of them mention that. But but tying in with what Becky said, um, remember God promised Abraham that in you and in your seed, all nations of the earth will be blessed. The New Testament specifically emphasizes... That Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of those promises to Abraham. In Acts 3, verse 25, uh, Peter quotes that in his sermon to emphasize that he is the ultimate fulfillment of those promises. Listen to Galatians 3, Galatians 3, particularly verses 6 through 8. For even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foresee that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. So he's emphasizing the promises to Abraham. And he tells, he quotes specifically that all nations will be blessed in you. He he goes on to say in verse 16, Galatians 3.16. These promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds... As referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. The promises to Abraham and to his seed were ultimately fulfilled in Abraham's seed, Jesus. And this leads him to the conclusion that if you're Abraham's uh, descendants, if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's descendants and heirs according to the promise in verses 26 through 29. So, the promises to Abraham are answered in Jesus. He brings salvation to all the nations, as Becky was emphasizing. And remember, when he sends his disciples on the Great Commission, go therefore uh, and teach all nations, in, in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. This news of salvation is news uh, that would reach all nations of the earth. All nations. Um, and this is said in other ways too. In the New Testament. Um... For example, verse two mentions God's salvation being shown to all nations, but God's ways, God's ways, God's salvation be known to all nations. And remember, Jesus said in John twelve thirty two, "If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself." And He's going to draw all men. He's going to draw all nations. He's going to draw. All kinds of people. In the context of John 12, a Gentile has asked about seeing Jesus. I'll draw all nations to myself. And all, but here he just says all men to myself. But it includes people of other nations who would be drawn to to him. It's interesting too when you come to the book of Revelation to see in several of these scenes you see people from every nation praising God. Revelation 5 and verse 9. Revelation 5 verse 9 they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the book and break its seals for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. People from every tribe, tongue, people and nation were part, it was part of God's salvation. They experienced the saving blood of Jesus Christ and in Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10, it is people from every nation. I saw a great multitude that no man could count from every nation and all tribes and people and they're singing salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Um, look at um, verse 3 and verse 5 again. Verse 3 and verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Verse 3 and verse 5, basically the same thing. Now this sounds a lot like another verse I'm about to read. Praise the Lord, all nations. laud Him, all peoples. For His loving kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. Do so you know I read a whole psalm, I think? What psalm would that be, therefore? 117, yep. Psalm 117, praise the Lord, all nations. It's a lot like verse 3 and verse 5, isn't it? Where it says, let the peoples praise him, let all the peoples praise him. Do you know Psalm 117, verse 1, is quoted as short as Psalm 117 is? It's quoted in the New Testament in Romans 15, verse 11. And the emphasis, and we emphasize Romans 15, verse 9 in the Sunday night sermon a couple of weeks ago, but of Jews and Gentiles singing together in praise. You see that idea through all of verses 9 to 12 so so really <coughs> this touches on on the whole of salvation a god who brings salvation to all the nations and they all people from all the nations join together in singing and praising god and praising the lamb they join in this Our God continues to judge righteously and to guide his people safely to eternity. So, in a certain way, this could sum up the whole picture of salvation in Scripture, couldn't it?
2: What else do you all see, John? I like how um, Psalm 67, verse 1. uh, God causes His face to shine upon us. Makes me think of what's said in Second uh, Corinthians 4. And verse 6, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Yeah. Somebody That's pointed good. out,
0: That's good.
2: it wasn't only in Genesis 1 where God said, Let there be light. But he said it again
0: when he sent Jesus. Yes, that is good. That is good. That's a good way to say it. God has God has commanded the light to shine out of the darkness in Jesus. The creative act of Genesis one is matched in sending Christ as the light of the world. Wow, that's a good way to say it. Um I'll, I'll write this on the board, Christy. You can take a picture of that later. About the, the light. Um, what else? I think you see, and, and you're probably like me. A lot of times you read this psalm, you read it a few times, and you say, well, that's yes, directly touch on Jesus. Well, after you keep reading it, you think, well, it's not, not exactly right either. You know, it it does. And uh, very clearly. Now Mary, before class, told me that I should stand part of the time on Psalm 68 because she doubts, and I don't know why, that we can finish all of Psalm 68 next week. So, maybe we should spend our last two minutes or five minutes on Psalm 68. I just, I, I didn't know if we would really get to 67 that fast even with its brevity. Anything else here? Well, thank you for being a part of the study. We do not have a song looking at us and I don't know if it was brought downstairs in light of us meeting there, <laughs> but but it's, there's not one up here. But thank you for, for being here and uh, studying. Ray, would you want to lead us in prayer as we close?
1: Our Father, we praise and honor you as The only true and living God, our Father and our strength and our rock. And we are so grateful to you for the love that you have shown to us in so many ways, most especially for the gift of your Son and for salvation that we can have through him if we are obedient to your will. Father, we are thankful to you for the blessings you've given us in this life, but we're even more grateful to you for the gifts that we receive of a spiritual nature as we look forward to that home in heaven with you. Father, we thank you for your word and for the psalms that we've been reading, and we ask that you would help each of us to seriously ponder the the words that you have left us and that we might use them to understand you better and to improve our lives in service to you. Help us to lead lives that will be an example to others so that they might be interested in in following you as well. Keep us safe, Father, as we depart, and help us to return once again to study more of your will. We ask through Christ. Amen. 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 Hmm.